0: Good morning, faith family at the landing. So much to pray for. Let's turn to the Lord once again in prayer as we prepare for God's word. Lord, draw near to Pastor Andrew as he preaches today at Barnes Community Church. Bless him with power from your Holy Spirit and clarity in thought and zeal for the gospel as he proclaims it to brothers and sisters in Christ. In Wisconsin, We pray your blessing now over this effort at preaching your word. Improve and correct and sift and strengthen this effort to study and proclaim a glorious chapter, a passage of your holy word, inerrant, flawless, perfect in all its teaching. Revelation 18. Bless mothers especially on this day when we honor how wonderful, how good, how sometimes painfully hard and yet wonderfully rewarding your design for motherhood is. We stand with the rest of thoughtful people around this country and even thoughtful people around the world and say thank you God for mothers. And we thank you for your good design in the world. We thank you that it's irreversible and unstoppable, and at peace always, no matter how many attacks are thrust against it. We rest quietly in your design, in your sovereign control over the world that you've created, in your good plans to bless your people, strengthen your church, spread your love through the gospel to all the nations, and to keep us faithful till the very end. We look to you now, Lord, to see you stand forth in beauty and in strength and in glory from this passage, Revelation 18, in Christ's precious name and for his honor, I pray. Amen. I just recently saw a video and I was thrilled to see it, keeping up with the invasion of the Russian army in Ukraine. And I saw in the city of Kharkiv video of women coming out of their hovels and hiding places and and bomb shelters, welcoming Ukrainian army soldiers coming back into Kharkiv because these Ukrainian soldiers had liberated Kharkiv and kicked out all the Russian army. And how happy these women were to grab some young guy they didn't even know and give him a big wet kiss and throw their arms around him and say, thank you for liberating us. The joy of one of the cities of Ukraine, Kharkiv, recently liberated. It reminded me of photographs, maybe you've seen them too, of Paris, France in 1944 after four years of Nazi occupation. The people of Paris, France were so thrilled that the American and allied liberators had come after four years to liberate them from Nazi rule. The enemy's boot had been on the neck of the Parisians and the French people for four long years and now they were free. The only thing that could make enemy oppression worse in our day against us is if somehow in our hearts we had treasonously wanted it in the first place. John encourages his first century Christ-loving readers, readers of the book of Revelation, readers of the Bible, now readers 2,000 years later, and yet lovers of Christ and eager to hear his voice through the Scriptures, John encourages us by the Spirit to say, Your common enemy, our common enemy, dragon, beast, false prophet, the false trinity, and all who follow them, Babylon, the anti-church, all of them shall fall. And in fact, Babylon, the great city of sin, is fallen. The angel declares it in verses 1 through 3. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, great not in any virtue, but great in its sin. She has become a dwelling place for demons and a haunt for every unclean spirit. So as you read and hear Larry, as he read this to us so powerfully, you realize there's a finality to this. This is Babylon having been sent into her hell. You can see that from the torment used in verse 7, verse 10, and verse 15. This is final torment of Babylon. This is the the end of her destruction. You can also see it in the fact that she's enduring the plagues that God judges. And in the very phrase, God judging means that there is a conclusion, a finality, a condemnation upon Babylon from which she can never return. This is why the main point of Revelation 18 comes in verse 4. Come out of Babylon, come out of her, my people. Come out of Babylon, come out of her, my people. Every area of our culture is affected by a spirit of Babylon. You don't have to look very far to find this. A demonic influence that seems to be confusing and polluting governments and policies, business and medicine, music and entertainment, education, military, even church ministry, are all infiltrated by the demonic. No one's immune. Babylonish forces of evil seek to steal, kill, and destroy human souls. And they seek to violate and dishonor the worth and glory and design of God. I remember when I was a freshman at UMD in the fall of 1980. Yes, way back then, fall of 1980. I remember sitting in the cafeteria after my first class and and the sun was shining in. I remember the table. I remember the windows looking out over the yard and I remember reading my Bible and praying for God to show me himself and guide me in my thinking and help me in my day and in my, my efforts to get used to college life and give me direction in my life. I had no idea what I wanted to be or do. Then I read, would read a page from my devotional I'd received from my father called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers and then I discuss it with him later in the day. And I had been involved with theater productions at Proctor High School, and they were such a, such a joy. I'd, I'd been, become good friends with those in the theater department, and I saw the effect of powerful theater on people, and I thought, that sounds like something I'd like to do. So I was a theater major at UMD in 1980. You heard that, right? It's like offering yourself... To slavery in Babylon. But people were near me and watching me and praying for me. Don't think young persons, if you're here listening to me right now, that there aren't people watching and praying for you. There are, especially your mothers, godly mothers. They're watching and praying for you with an unspeakable ache in their hearts and in their souls, not wanting to speak to you words that would harm or confuse you, but pleading with God to protect you from the Babylon they've seen. It's both the hardest and highest calling in the world, godly motherhood, because its aim is to keep children out of Babylon and keep Babylon out of your children. It always seems like it's so difficult. So with every fiber of their being, godly mothers expunge Babylon from their children, knowing that they must send their children back out into Babylon feels like an impossible task. Only God can save our children, and He does. After I discovered for a 17-year-old a shocking reality that the only way I was going to be cast as an actor in some play that they were doing, which I thought was what you did when you went to the theater department, I first had to attend director's cast parties. When that was made clear to me one afternoon, I immediately dropped my theater major and transferred to communications. Communications is what you do when you don't have a clue what else to do. What a rescue that proved to be to my soul. Come out of Babylon. No, not all theater persons are ensnared in worldliness. Just like all persons in your calling are not ensnared in worldliness. Some of you may be called to leave your jobs. Not all of you, by Christ, are called to leave your jobs. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We are called to serve in our jobs as if we're not serving in our jobs. We're called to devote ourselves daily to Christ and do our job well. But Christ is the one to whom we serve. Christ is the final person to whom we must give an account. Christ is the final person whose favor and approval we desire. Paul says it perfectly and clearly just like this to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. You see how he has the end in view even as he's writing to Corinthians? From now on, and then he skips ahead, let those who buy as though they had no goods. Let those who deal with the world as they had no dealings with the world. For this present form of this world is passing away. Make no hard attachments to this world or to this Babylon. Instead, expose it and oppose it. It is not indifferent toward you. It is not neutral. It is not morally okay. It hates you and it wants to destroy you. Your parents, your mother, your, your elders, your people that are in your life and watching your life and know you and love you, they know the world hates you and wants to devour you. They know the world wants to destroy you and it'll do so without compunction. That's why they're so concerned for your well-being and your soul. The final defeat of the Babylon, the anti-church, is unfolded here in Revelation 18. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And the main point is given in verse 4, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And then two incentives are given that we would obey this main point. Incentive number one, avoid sin's plagues. Very simple. Come out of Babylon. Why? To avoid sin's plagues. And the second, come out of Babylon to adopt heaven's joys. To adopt heaven's joys. Look with me to verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, the first voice was the angel, and the angel from heaven said, fallen, fallen is Babylon. But then in verse 4, it says, then I heard another voice from heaven. That is, heaven is nearby and present in John's vision, and from heaven he hears the voice. The voice is the voice of Christ. All through the book of Revelation, when the voice from heaven speaks... It's the voice of Christ, and you can tell that by the way the words unfold in verse 4. Come out of her, my people. Angels don't talk that way. Christ alone says, my people. The ones who are called and chosen and faithful, standing with Him. This is the Lamb speaking and the Lamb communicating and the Lamb giving orders here. The angel has already said, fallen, fallen is Babylon, so now addressing the church, addressing the believers, addressing the precious blood-bought people of Christ, Christ himself says, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. What does it mean to come out of Babylon? Babylon is everywhere. It's in every heart of sin. How do you come out of it? You don't leave the world. No, Jesus prayed to the Father before he was crucified. I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. John 17, 14, and 15. Jesus was not in the world Jesus was in the world, rather, but he was not of the world. We must be in the world and not of the world. All who love Christ will remain at enmity with the world. We will stand firmly against it. We will not let the world possess us. Why? Because we possess the world as heirs of Christ. Love Christ, love others the way Christ defines love, pointing them to the goodness of God and the glory of Christ and the power of the Spirit. Come out of Babylon means as a believer in Jesus Christ, you leave the desires of sin within you and the world system and you devote yourself to live holy for the glory of God. So if you scan down Revelation 18 to look at all the clues that unfold what it means to live in Babylon, you'd come up with several. Here's four that I found. Verse three says, flee sexual immorality. That's a huge part of Babylon and how Babylon functions. It functions according to sexual immorality. And that sexual immorality is is both acts of sexual immorality, sins of sexual nature, and also the treating of the world and, and Babylon as a woman of unholy desire and rejecting God. So it implies both sexual sin and idolatry. Verse 9, flee the love of money and its deception. Verse 23, Babylon functions under deception, the sorcery mentioned in verse 23, but it causes people to love money, gain security from money, gain your sense of value and worth from money, gain your sense of having influence and power by money. Flee all that, that's from Babylon. Verse 14, flee impure lust, its desires of unholy natures of every sort and kind. They can be fleed. They do not rule us. They do not have the final say. Never believe the lie that's assumed by the vast majority of people in Babylon. This is part of their deception, that no one can ultimately change their desires and shame on anyone who tries. That's an evil lie. Every unholy desire you have can be and for believers shall be victoriously defeated. And finally, verse 7, I saw a flea boastful pride. In verse 7, Babylon says, this is the words of Christ still speaking about Babylon, and she glorified herself. She glorified herself. Imagine the brazen nature to stand before the eyes of the living God and say, I'm going to glorify myself and live in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as queen. I sit as queen. Can you imagine the ways that that term has been perverted in Babylon? I'm no widow. And morning I shall never see. That's the arrogance of Babylon. The background of this boldness from the voice of Babylon is Isaiah 47, among many, many other passages, far more than I could barely quote or count. Isaiah 47, Isaiah is saying the same warning for the people of Israel to hear. Now, therefore, hear this, you lovers of pleasure, you who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am God's name and there is no one beside me i shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children that's what's behind revelation 18:7 in the boast of babylon this is the blasphemy god corrected through isaiah and it's now finding its highest expression in the blasphemy of babylon i am fine i glorify myself gather luxury around me i will not be tormented or endure mourning i'll sit as a queen and no one will make me a widow Verse 8 says, begins a theme. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Because of that arrogance, because of that proud, self-glorifying, boastfulness, Because of that, her plagues will come in a single day. That's how God responds to boastfulness, arrogance, and pride. Her plagues, destroying her forever, come in a single day. Verse 10, verse 17, and verse 19 all say the same thing, essentially in in the phrase, a single hour, a single hour, a single hour. She will be unsuspecting, eating and drinking, sinning in the usual ways, but in one single hour Christ will come and level judgment against Babylon and those who... Hate him and his church. Do not say to yourself, I can live a life of sin, and when I actually think it's time to get serious with God, I will have a talk with him. And I will set terms with him, and he will receive me. He is a patient and gracious God after all. Beware of that thought. What's happening there? That's the committing of the sin of presumption. That's the sin of presumption. How do you know if you say, I want to live to the fullest, the life that looks appealing and fun and desirable to me now, and yes, I know that if I get sick or if somebody tells me I'm about to die, I'll just take care of business then, me and God. That's the sin of presumption, and how do we know that? We know that because it's impossible to say, if you have a hard and God-hating heart right now, that someday you'll have a penitent, soft, and repentant heart. Then you won't. Look to Christ. May God give you the eyes to see that Babylon is crumbling all around us. How many of you in this room can see signs that Babylon is crumbling? Babylon is falling apart. They're turning on each other. Their plans and their structures and their systems and their laws and every, every policy seems to be diving in and collapsing and imploding on itself all over the world. Nations are falling apart and then the people are coming here as if somehow we've got everything figured out. Look to Christ. Policies are po- polarizing. Nations are collapsing. Wars are rising. Sickness is threatening. Churches are compromising. Businesses are imploding. Nature is groaning. Bodies are breaking. Trust is eroding. Look to Christ. That you and I would look to Christ, the rock of our salvation, the reigning Lamb who is worthy, the joy of all human desiring, the exact image of His only Father, and He the Son. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Come out of Babylon. Two incentives, one, to avoid sin's plagues, second, to adopt heaven's joys. Jeremiah 51, another passage, so important as the background to this chapter, Revelation 18. Jeremiah says, when you finish reading the book, tie a stone to it, cast it into the midst of the Euphrates, rich with symbolism, and say thus, thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I'm bringing upon her, and they shall become exhausted. That's exactly what's happening in Revelation 18. It's the fulfillment of what Jeremiah said would happen to the original Babylon in Iraq. Now, true and worldwide Babylon is sinking like a stone into God's wrath. Never to be recovered. All unbelievers who participated, they're complicit with Babylon, everybody who bought and sold with her, who enjoyed sexual perversion and sin with her, who who trafficked with her. they're all standing on the periphery of smoking destructive Babylon as Babylon burns and as smoke billows and as all the collapsing and imploding and smoke and crushing, Falling of buildings and structures happens before their eyes, and so we're given this song with three stanzas or three themes, but they all say the same thing. I'll go over them quickly. This is all in a challenge and an incentive for you to come out of Babylon avoiding sin's plagues. Look at verse 9 and 10, and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, they'll weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her, of her burning. Verse 10, they will stand far off in fear of her torment. You see what that means? The kings are saying, look what's happening to Babylon. Uh, But we joined in with her. I wonder if what's happening to her will happen also to us. For in a single hour your judgment has come, is the end of verse 10. But then the next group, the merchants, verse 15, the merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. They're not just standing far off, regretting, saying, oh, no, my, my malls are empty, and, and oh my websites are falling apart, and, and the dollar has lost all its value, and oh, no, I can't travel anymore, and there's, there's no more luxuries and pleasures to enjoy. My, my Babylon is falling apart. No, no, that's not just the only reason that the merchants are standing aside. They're standing a, a far away from Babylon while she burns because they're in fear of torment. It's the same Greek term used for what God does to those he condemns to hell forever. But third, look at the captains. It's the same thing. Verses 17 and 18. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. All the shipmasters, seafaring men, sailors, all those whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? Come out of Babylon to avoid her just plagues for her sin. Come out of Babylon, verse 4, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. The reason the kings, the merchants, and the captains stood afar off from Babylon as she burned was because she was burning, a burning they themselves would experience. Hear it now, there's no person you know on earth in any religion or at any time or in any location who does not have to hear this warning. Because every person who has not trusted in Christ has this as their certain future. That is a bracing observation that stops my mouth. Finally, Come out of Babylon to adopt heaven's joys. Come out of Babylon rejoicing. Come out of Babylon saying, boy, am I ever glad that I'm not in that theater program anymore. Woo, shoosh. Praise the Lord for what he spares me from. Praise the Lord for what he spares you from. Verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Judgment for you against her. Rejoice over her. Nobody has joy in Babylon. Do you realize that? Nobody has joy in Babylon. Babylon is phony joy. There's no joy. Anybody who has joy in Babylon is faking it. All joy comes from knowing and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no true joy in any rebellion against him. Rejoice over her, O heaven. God, sing, praise, bless your name as you have brought right and just judgment. Saints, apostles, and prophets on the earth, rejoice with heaven that God has brought judgment for you. Against her, you prophets and saints and apostles who cried out from chapter 6, how long, O Lord, before you avenge our martyrdom and our murder by Babylon? Now it's avenged. Fallen is Babylon. All has been set right by God. Rejoice, for everything is back to order and peace and righteousness and goodness. And then, as if to say... Here are all the delights, Babylon, that you thought you found joy in, but you won't find them anymore. It's the end of your destruction. But if you read these carefully, as I read this this section 22 and 23 over and over, I realized it wasn't just wonderful things that Babylon wouldn't enjoy anymore. That's true, and that's explicitly clear. But more than that, I realized that everything that's in 22 and 23 is also meant to be fulfilled in what believers will enjoy forever in heaven. Verses 22 and 23 are the good delights that we're meant to rejoice in, given by God. And they were in Babylon as a gift to Babylon, though she perverted them, distorted them, and made idols of them. They are going to be enjoyed by Babylon no more when she falls. But they will be enjoyed by followers of Christ in his name forever. Look at them. See if you don't agree with that reading of this. And the sound of harpists, literally guitars, guitara, the sound of guitars and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, seven trumpets, will be heard in you no more. No more music, no more parties, no more celebration, no more gatherings, no more memories and, and melodies and harmony and rhythm. No more of that in Babylon. But it's going to go on forever and ever in heaven. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. No building, no art and constructing. No carrying out the image of God who is the supreme artist and then taking media and tools and line and curvature and color and shape and texture and creating things that are crafts from a craftsman. No more of that in Babylon. You had it as a gift. You squandered it. It will now be given to the people of God forever. And as they work day after day for eternity, they will craftsmen it, be craftsmen and craftswomen at crafts of all fashion and sort and kind. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. No more gathering of grain. No more feeding of the, any who are hungry. No more of any of the blessings that come from the normal functioning of homes and communities gathered around a meal. No more for you, Babylon. You squandered the blessing of meals that you were given so many times and took for granted and used for your own glory and shame but in heaven they'll continue the resurrected bodies will will grow hungry and be satisfied at the marriage supper of the lamb and an unending gathering of banquets over which his banner is love and the light of a lamp will shine in you no more Darkness is all you'll have. You will be in forever darkness and you'll never have any power or light. You'll see nothing. You'll know nothing. You'll observe nothing. You'll approve of nothing. You'll find nothing in beauty anymore for you will not be able to see it any longer. But in heaven, such a lamp is burning in the glory of Christ and His Father that no lamp will be needed for the glory of His face. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. No marriages, no babies, no holidays, no families, no celebrations, no structure, no order, no beauty, no righteousness, no purity. It's over for you, Babylon. You chose your way. You have what you wanted. Utter destruction. Yet the bride... The chosen and faithful and called ones will be spoken of with affection by the bridegroom Christ for eternity in heaven. A final warrant for Babylon's destruction is in verse 23 at the end, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth and all nations were deceived by their sorcery and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who have been slain on earth. This is a massive theme in the Bible maybe climaxed with the Apostle Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean things. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Do you see the adoption of joy? Leave Babylon and lay hold of the father. Be called a son and a daughter says the Lord Almighty. Be welcomed by the Lord as you touch no unclean thing. Or the same theme of joy is in Isaiah 48. Go out from Babylon, f- flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy and proclaim it, send it to, out the, to the ends of the earth, say the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. Joy is to be adopted as those who step out of the joylessness of Babylon. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then the charge of this chapter to me and to you is leave anything, depart from, sever, cut yourself off, crucify anything that holds you back into Babylon's identity and its grip. Let the Lord bring those things to your mind. He will show you instantly. He wants you to depart from Babylon more than you do. If you're an unbeliever, come out of Babylon and trust Christ. Trust Him before it's too late. Trust Him before this destruction so vividly portrayed for us becomes your personal story. Would you pray with me? I ask, Father, that You would take the fumblings of my efforts and the power of Your Word in its flawless perfection and that You would glorify it in the life of Your people here at the landing. I pray that you would bless us richly with the opportunity to come out of Babylon wherever we are tempted by it, wherever we have been ensnared by it, wherever we have been knowingly or even inadvertently mingled with it. I told one story from my life, but my memory is filled with dozens of examples where you spared me from aligning myself with Babylon. And all I can say before your face and in the hearing of this precious band of believers is, thank you, Lord, so very much. Thank you for what you've spared this band of people from. And thank you, as if there's more, thank you for what you will spare us from in the days ahead. Thank you for the dangers and the missteps and the potholes that you will guard us from. Thank you so much for the promise that you will lead us and shepherd us wisely and truthfully, clearly and rightly until the day you return and Babylon has fallen. I pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Last Sunday at the members' meeting, three elders who've been serving among the landing